at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, the sky isn't falling for a week week. Yeah, that's that's apt. I'd say that's a, an appropriate way to entitle this. I feel uh, we're back to being more realistic as a group. I think everyone's kind of trying not to buy into the, well, what if we can beat LSU murmurs i think it's more i think everyone's being fairly level-headed and saying you know what like if we can give them a game and 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 make it seem like we belong on the same field and make it seem like you know we're we're both power conference teams you know we'll we'll, we'll take the loss if it comes but um i I think that people were very happy to see the improvement that syracuse showed in the the final three quarters against central michigan this past weekend yeah we were uh we we didn't look good for a couple for a quarter there but um, the, dog, the the team really turned it around. The offense uh, did some things that we've been looking for them to do in general, not just coming off of a, a really bad loss, but um, obviously the running game um, may be a little bit misleading because of some big runs, but I think you'll take big runs where they come because they kind of have the same effect of opening up the passing game, even if you're only getting like three yards to carry otherwise. Sign of me. Um, yeah, whatever, however it works. Like, uh, you know, I'd love for five yards of carry and picking up chunks, but... Um, this is a passing offense as, as of uh, now, so however you're going to help that out with the run game uh, works, I think. Um, the defense continues to look really good against a pretty prolific uh, Mac offense, at least so far this year. Um, so, yeah, I think we are back in, like, you know, a bowl, bowl still is not very hard because of that MTSU loss. Like, that doesn't change. But it does seem more of like uh, this was one bad, uh, bad week versus, like, oh, this team is actually terrible. Uh, let's, like hide under our tables for the rest of the fall yeah and honestly i I don't know if this this year is ever going to really give us a solution on the like is this team good or not um scale at least not until november um the pit game is starting to become like the 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 kind of bellwether we thought it was Uh, just i think Pitt's very bad i think their defense is even worse than last year's if that's possible uh i I think that's going to be a very good marker for us it's at the dome um, despite recent history against Pitt, obviously every year is a different team. Um, I think Syracuse can make the adjustments and beat Pitt, but I think that game is going to tell us everything we need to know about this season. If, if Syracuse is, if the Middle Tennessee game was, was an anomaly, then then Syracuse should be able to handle Pitt and it's and it's bad defense and it's middling offense. If if the Middle Tennessee game was was a sign of things to come, then we're not going to look great against Pitt. I, I, I think even NC State the week before, you know, say what you want about the Wolfpack kind of becoming exactly what we thought they would be to begin with. But um, I, I'd still say that there's more talent on that roster. Uh, I, I think that Pitt is a much, much more apt um, kind of comparison for Syracuse and, and where it is as a program right now in this season in particular. Um, while I am excited about what happened versus Central Michigan, um, is notable that there were a couple of major offensive weapons out for, for CMU, and that's something you and I talked about, Dan, in advance, and we talked about it on the site, talked about it on Twitter. Um, 
nonetheless, you know, those players don't play defense. And I think that for about two and a half quarters, uh, Syracuse was able to pretty much do whatever it wanted, um, you know, on the offensive end. And that was set up in part by by a defense that seemed to be able to make big plays. Um, I haven't seen Bill C's updated uh, explosiveness numbers on both sides of the ball, but um, from what I could tell, like SU on defense seems like a team that is capable of making big plays. They scored a touchdown this past weekend, um, and they could have picked off another, you know, three or four balls easily, if not more, um, against Shane Morris. So I, I think with that group improved, even if the, the offense has taken a little bit of a step back, and I think we through three games can probably say yes, that's the case. Um, if they can run the ball reasonably well, and, and, and the defense can can do what it's been doing. Um, I think we stand a chance in, against all the teams we thought we stood a chance against, at least. I actually pulled up Bill C's profile for us like as we were getting going here. Um, yeah, so uh, still very small sample size, which is uh, all you need to know about these numbers. But uh, looking at our uh, the ISO uh, points per play, which is like the measure of um, explosiveness, which you, you cited, uh, on offense we were 58th, which, you know, okay. On defense, we were 91st. Um, now, the funny part is uh, on offense, our passing is only 95th. And, and that makes sense because we haven't really hit a ton of huge downfield passing plays. Defensively, we're one-tenth there, which means we're still giving up deep ball. Um, that's everything else that's improved. But uh, on offense, which is really funny considering everything, and honestly, like I guess in a measure of explosiveness, this, this made sense. Defense, we're 20th in the country, which we've been very good at stopping the run, so we get that. Offense, we're 17th. <laughs> We're one thirteenth in rushing success rate, which means like we're not consistent at all. Yeah. But we're seventeenth in explosiveness because we hit like three or four huge runs this week. Yeah, I think we had three runs of forty yards or more. Uh, Riley had one, Neil had one, and uh, and Dungey had one. Um, we've talked about how Dungey is the lead rusher is not really a sustainable practice against better teams, in particular Clemson's terrifying front seven. But um, in, in general, you have to like what those types of runs. I mean. Dungy's not running in, in a way that, like, Babers would prefer necessarily, although I think he's improved. But I think, like, Dungy running doesn't set, up the, doesn't set up the pass the same way Babers has been used to from other quarterbacks who weren't running, and it was really a more effective, you know, handoff style, up the gut um, running that, that set up the, the, that outside passing. I think for Dungy, what it does is it, it – and you saw it against Central Michigan, against teams that really don't have the – the horses to defend those receivers or defend Dungy, like you're going to be dealing with a spy that really did not work for them because Dungy's able to beat, you know, nine out of 10 players on that defense, um, you know, in open space. He's just that fast. You saw him out running, you know, several um, defenders that are reasonably good secondary for CMU. I mean, they're prone to giving up big plays, but they're also prone to making big plays. Um, They've got, you know, nine picks on the season. Uh, which is one of the best, you know, rates in the country. Um, so obviously they know what they're doing there. Put a caveat in, however, for, uh, you know, sample size as well as just who they faced, um, Rhode Island, Kansas, who's who's atrocious, and us. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, those big plays are great. I, I think that the fact that we hit 300 yards, which is a first um, for Syracuse under Dino Babers, is great. I can't remember the last time Syracuse ran for 300 yards in general. Um, and maybe that's a post for tomorrow, if I can find those numbers, and I'm sure I can via CFB stats. Um, yeah, I I didn't love the, the inconsistency, but I did love the fact that big gains were able to 
kind of open things up, even if, and again, this is the second straight week we've seen this, which is worrisome, but also a major caveat to, you know, Dungy's numbers dipping a little bit is Dungy's delivering the ball. That, 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 that beautiful, beautiful pass he threw to Sean Riley was, was NFL worthy. And you saw NFL scouts talking about it on Twitter afterward. Um, he is, he's delivering the ball on the money and the receivers aren't doing their part, um, whether they're open or not. So I think if, if those, if even half of those passes start connecting, you're going to see a very different offense very quickly. Yeah, and as we said last week, like, drops haven't been, I mean, that doesn't mean they're not now, but, like, these guys have not been, like, guys who drop balls all that often uh, through, like, the last two or three years in the system. So I still hold out hope that this was, like, a, a weird glitch, and it wasn't as bad as it was against Middle Tennessee, thank God. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, he definitely hasn't gotten a ton of help, and he's still putting up pretty big numbers. Um and obviously, it's very nice that Steve Ishmael has like kind of turned into the player that we have kind of thought he was going to be the last couple of years. Obviously, last year, you know, not a lot of complaints. Zamba ended up being a ridiculous player for us, but um, Ishmael's like kind of putting up aside from touchdowns, like kind of putting up uh, similar similar numbers. And he's what's he at like over 100 yards every game so far. Um, I think this is his first game without 10 catches. But what yeah. do you have like eight or nine? Um, I think it so eight, like, he's got 34 yeah, eight, catches eight, eight for 139, which is pretty damn good yeah. um he leads the country in receptions by four and the next closest guy is uh gallup from colorado state and he's played yeah, four games yeah i saw you wrote that in the uh the records uh, yep. post um it was nice i'm still kind of wondering what's going on with irv i don't know if defenses are shading to him i haven't really paid too much attention to it um considering you know the crazy numbers he had people up last year but I, I you know hold out hope that he'll come around but then sean riley who has been a huge talking point since the game um, really awesome performance by him. Best offensive performance he's had by far uh, with his, what, 129 total yards uh, on just eight touches, which is really impressive. Um, kind of broke the game open with some with some of those plays. And then also kick returning. He's just fa- fantastic. He's a terrible punt returner, which still remains funny. But awesome kick returner. Basically, for Central Mission didn't just pop the ball up after the first two where he almost took uh, – he almost broke a couple and he had – you know, 98 yards and two, two returns. So you have Kenneth Ruff catching like 30 yard kickoffs after that, uh, which, which works too. Like if they're going to field position advantage. Yeah. If you force a team to do that, you will take your, your, your weird like linebacker fair catches all you want. And that's what happened with Brisley, you know, last couple of years too. Brisley changed the, 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 the course of, you know, teams punting strategies. And that's why, you know, when people were talking about best punt returner in the country, like, they didn't mention him as much because the, the, the raw numbers didn't necessarily bear it out. You know, uh, Quadri Olison and a couple other guys. No, sorry, Quadri Henderson of the two Quadris on uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, Quadri Henderson had like three return touchdowns last year and, you know, got a lot of accolades for that. But teams were actively avoiding Brisley in the punt return game. He only had about 15 or 16 um, that he was able to, to bring back. And every one of them, you know, was going for 10, 15 yards. Um, you're seeing something similar with Riley now. If Riley can get kickers rattled, if Riley can get, you know, us starting at the 30 or so every time, if, if an opposing team doesn't have a kicker who can boom it out of the back of the end zone, like, no, the raw numbers aren't going aren't gonna to show for him, but he's still impacting the game. And I think that that's huge and something that, that, that we should, you know, keep an eye on more. But you're right. Riley's uh, presence in, in this this offense is very encouraging i don't want to see him necessarily replace Irvin phillips just yet um but what he was able to do you know both running and receiving um this past game was was really really fun to watch um obviously you worry about you know he's being he's a little bit smaller he can you know potentially take a big hit uh but 
if you're going to be that elusive, if you're going to be running around the edge, at least you're going to be able to avoid um, those bigger defenders on the front line. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about, like, different options to kind of bolster what has been a very, very poor running game for two years now. And these edge rushes and these reverses and misdirections and all these things that take more of the onus off of the interior offensive line are all positives, I think. And they've worked well. Like, we, we're, they're well-designed. Um, they're clearly not being uh, overly tipped off, which is always a problem with those kind of uh, gadget plays. Um, so hopefully we, we see more of those, but not to the point where, where they become predictable. Um, because that wouldn't be good. But uh, I'd say they, they've been highly successful. I mean, usually underrounds are a very uh, risky proposition, but it seems like they work more often than not for at least, you know, marginal means. Well, yeah, I mean, too, like, since the good thing here is it's not like your typical, um, like, speedy outside receiver who, like, you're playing 10 yards off the line deep. So then when he goes in motion and then takes a handoff, like, it catches the defense by surprise. Like, Riley's already lined up inside to begin with. So... You know, this is a little bit of more traditional, you know, I'd say like high school level end around. Um, that or like a Georgia Tech, like, yeah, be back type thing. It's not, not the same thing, but it's there's a lot there's a lot less. Uh, there are fewer like moving parts and, and a lot less uh, room for error where Riley's coming from versus like if we were to run a reverse to, to Ishmael from the outside or something, which would be silly because he's not that kind of player. 100 percent. And yeah, you, you look at this team, too, like. Because there, there are a lot of veterans, you know, even though the offensive line has struggled, there's enough, there's enough veteran experience pieces where, where they're not going to be tipping off those plays, you know, nearly as much. Obviously, um, you know, under the previous regime, we had, we had silly play calls like Ben Lewis jet sweeps and, and, and things that never made any sense. Um, they, they were pretty much red from the get-go, and we didn't have the speed to really execute on them. Um, in this system, however, um, you know, using Riley's speed to, to, as an advantage, having him out on the field most downs at this point i think is a is the type of thing that you know amba drew coverage and drew eyeballs in a different way um riley has the the, the potential that maybe you know we talked about this a little bit on twitter like that ashton Broyles was supposed to have that brisley esteem was supposed to have his hybrids under scott schaefer and uh you know the george mcdonald tim lester offenses like Riley's going to quickly gain eyeballs, and even if that means that you know he's not going to hit the production that he did this past week, um, every single game from now on, if he's drawing you know one or two defenders, that only means that one of the other three or four receivers out there every play um, is going to be able to to, to find themselves in open space uh, for Eric Dungey to, to to get the ball over to him. Yep, and it's just a nice nice to add another dimension to the offense because it was it was definitely lacking that uh, in the MTSU game. Um, so if he can continue to establish himself, like it's going to be a big, a big factor going forward. Just be, I mean, a because Irv hasn't really come along quite yet this year, but also just in general, like the more weapons you have to deal with, the harder it is to game plan for, and the less predictable you are. So all good things. Um, and we saw this at, with Babers at uh, at Bowling Green. Like there were, he had so many options. He had multiple running backs that were incredibly effective. He had two or three huge receivers his last year there. Obviously, having a great quarterback helped. Um, and and Dungey's even a different type of player because of his you know his running ability. Um, but the more the more things you have to, you can give a defense, a defense to worry about, the less they can dedicate to any individual player. Um, so like you said, while it was nice that Amba was able to go out and have what like fifteen hundred yards and however many touchdowns, like I think overall I'd rather have you know an offense where you know you could have three or four different guys just go crazy on a given night, and hopefully the running backs start to. Uh, to factor in there too. Obviously, they, they had a nice performance with their their big runs. 
Yeah, the running backs want to join that club. Go for it. Uh, I think Mo Neal is definitely our, our big play threat there. I'd like to see more of what Marquenzie Pierre can do, and we started to see a little bit of him, uh, much to the uh, delight of, of a lot of fans calling for him. I think Strickland started to show flashes of what we probably figured he's going to be better at, which is you know someone who can catch the ball out of the backfield uh, and somebody who can potentially you know play an inside receiver spot. I don't know what's going on with the Eric Phillips injury, um, if he is hurt and, and can't go, and, and I don't really think that that's an ideal situation for us against LSU in particular. Um, if he wants to line up at out, uh, inside receiver um, opposite Sean Riley, and then we utilize you know a, a mix of Neal and, and Pierre at running back, I don't necessarily think that's a bad experiment um, to go forward with. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was nice to get some different looks because this was like the last game where we can really afford to kind of experiment a little bit. And we obviously didn't realize we were going to be able to because last week was so bad. Um, but you know, now going forward, we're going to probably start to see you know, the looks that we're going to get on a, on a drive-by-drive basis, and there's going to maybe be a little bit less of that experimentation that we saw in the third quarter when things started to get out of hand for Central. Right. Um, before we get halftime, figure talk a little bit about the defense, Dan, is that not something we've discussed much in, in positive tones um, in Dino Baber's uh, tenure so far, but like we said earlier, defense looked really good again. Um, they're generating pressure. They're not getting the sacks. Um, and you're not seeing a ton of the tackles for loss that we saw um, under Schaefer's system necessarily, but um, this team's still generating a ton of pressure. You're seeing all-out blitzes work and actually get to quarterbacks, rush throws, um, alter plays um, in ways that just didn't happen last year. A lot of potential candidates here, but Dan, who impressed you the most on the defensive side of the ball um, against CMU? Um, I thought it was just another great great game for the linebackers and really the whole front seven has been very good through three games um Kendall Coleman continues to pick up some you know big accolades uh in the middle um Zaire Franklin is just a tackle machine uh so it's it's been very exciting to see that that whole group um play well and even the defensive backs like uh they haven't been great but it, it's a huge like we talked in the offseason like you don't want you're not going to see a a you know, zero to 60 turnaround in one year at that position. But if you can get yourself to where, you know, they're not such a, a terrible group that, you know, you, you can just chuck the ball downfield on them all game, then it's, it's going to uh, mean a lot for the defense. And I think that's where we kind of are now. Like, they're, they're, they get big deep. The numbers will tell you that. Um, they're still not, like, the greatest cover group ever. But I think they're a very fair, like, step, step, step and a half forward from where they were last season. And the front seven is just playing great football, like, like yeah, the sacks aren't there, the the tackles for loss aren't there, but they stuff the run. Um, really, none of the three teams have run on us very effectively. Uh, they do get some disruption in the backfield. They they put some pressure on quarterbacks, and, and they've just played very sound football, which is nice to see. Yeah, I mean, you know, we said this during the entire off season and even the end of last year. Like, you can have one of your you know your your front four or your secondary be like leave something to be desired if the other one is going to help pick up the the you know pieces a bit um that's what happened for us i think these first three games where um you know the secondary has been better but where we've seen you know the the great strides up front um that's kind of helped balance things out quite a bit um you know it's not just the returning players obviously chris layton's put in what looks like you know close to an all-conference performance so far according to advanced metrics if you look at the uh, pro football focus stuff um, they'll show you Chris Slayton is one of the better interior linemen in the conference. 
you know, week in and week out so far. Um, obviously, some adjustment needed for, for opponent, but, you know, in general, between him, McKinley Williams, Caden um, Samuels, all being able to, to generate pressure internally. Um, Alden Robinson has been a, a great addition, albeit a late one um, on the outside. I think him and Brandon Berry have, have been able to acclimate themselves really well to this um, defense right away and really set the tone for what's been a much uh, renewed pass rush. Um, and then obviously Josh Black and Kendall Coleman have also made plenty of noise as well. Um, this is this is a group that's just going to get better as the season goes on and they all get used to playing with one another. Um, that, that's one thing that you don't always have the benefit of um, in, in terms of defenses. But I think in this case, like having those guys um, all all kind of develop together and develop, you know, report one another um, is only going to mean bigger and better things as we go. While defensive backs, um, a lot of them, obviously, you know, aside from Devin Butler um, and Jordan Martin, those guys have have played together um, in in various spots over the last couple of years. They're still, though, a group that that is learning on the fly and another one that could potentially improve. I think as much as Game 2 had a lot of rough patches for, for guys like Scoop Bradshaw and Christopher Frederick, um, there were still some of those glimmers of issues in, in game three, but, um, they looked improved. They were able to make big plays. I think both, you know, Bradshaw and Frederick were able to, to make some really, really nice plays that helped turn the game around. Um, again, both, both of those groups, and it's not to take away from the linebackers, just to say that like the linebackers, we knew what we were getting to get better efforts from, uh, both the secondary and the line, which was probably unexpected for both of us and, and everybody else, um, it is a real nice feeling, um, and again, knowing that these guys are going to be able to only improve as the season goes on. Yeah, I mean that's a very good point. Like linebackers was the linebacking core was the one place that we felt pretty good about things. Um, the defensive line, like I think by the end of the off season, we were like fairly optimistic about, but definitely not like you know cashing in our checks on on it being a very solid group. But so far, it looks like that. Uh, obviously, things might change very quickly this weekend, especially in the running game because LSU. Uh, is probably going to be out for blood, um, considering what happened to them this weekend. And also, Darius Dice is one of the best running backs in the country. Um, I know Ed Alexander's out for LSU, their uh, offensive lineman, but I think they still have an offensive line that should be able to push around the Syracuse defensive line, improved or not. Um, so let's try not to get too discouraged overall about what happens up front this weekend, because it could get pretty ugly, and it doesn't mean that this still isn't an improved group. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the LSU game a little bit more, but one thing that, that should be on people's radar, and I'm hoping it goes away for m- multiple reasons, um, weather's not looking great down there for this weekend. Forecast is uh, is trending poorly. So, uh, fun. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> It's not ideal for, for vacationing or tailgating or watching football in, like, a pleasant scenario. But at the same time, like, w- w- what to me is more pressing than that is the fact that we've seen Syracuse have to play in, in, in some elements and, and play in this offense in some elements, and it does not go well at all. And if you're going to be in a, in a bit of a rock fight, this LSU team seems like, you know, one, one of the worst to face in a situation like that. Yeah, I, I I am not looking forward to uh, the possibility of like a a Wake Forest a 2016 Wake Forest game, but against LSU, like that doesn't sound like a thing that anyone's gonna find fun. No. Um, except for maybe Darius Dice, who could you know mud plod his way through uh, you know 200 yards. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, let's hope that things hold up and we get a nice day because that is probably the best chance Syracuse has if it has one at all. 
which, you know, I think a lot of people will say, oh, they just lost 37 to 7. Yeah, well, <laughs> Mississippi State is, you know, a lot more talented. Like, I think Babers said this today. Like, we're not Mississippi State, and I know that sounds silly because they're not, like, a historically great program, but Dan Mullen's a hell of a coach, and they still recruit, like, SEC talent, and they have a very good quarterback, as do we, but they also have, uh, I think, a lot more up front, if I had to guess. I don't know their offensive line all that well, but I can take a fair assumption and say it's probably better than the Syracuse offensive line. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say that that's a fair guess. Um, I think in the trenches in particular, you're down in Louisiana, you probably have a better shot at, at a lot of four- and five-star kids. Um, so, yeah, that should, uh, that should hand LSU a, a major, major advantage uh, there and one that, that really we can't afford to seed, uh, which is should be a little discouraging. And I don't want, want to paint everything with a negative brush. I just want to more point out that, like, Game, like LSU lost in part because they were just manhandled um, in the trenches. And just because Mississippi State isn't on the same recruiting level as an LSU and Alabama doesn't mean that they're not on a better recruiting level than Syracuse. I think we, we've seen SU lose recruits to Mississippi State and others um, in, in the bottom parts of the SEC. Um, that elite line play is why, you know, Mississippi State was able to beat LSU. It's why LSU is going to be able to beat most of the other teams they face this year. It's why Clemson, you know, is, is not missing a beat. Um, as we proceed into, you know, what is now year three of, of a pretty impressive run, and I, I hate saying it, but I will, like, pretty impressive run for a non-traditional power um, because they've been able to recruit at a top 10 level uh, year in and year out now for about four or five years. And you look what they did in Louisville. Um, that's not something we're going to be able to do to Louisville, but it, it does give hope that, you know, a, a pass rush could potentially disrupt things a bit. Um, and just pointing out that, you know, don't be discouraged. And I know that preaching the choir for you and me and, and maybe a lot of the other fans listening, but don't be discouraged if, if Syracuse gets gets wrecked up front by, by four and five star players um, who are going to be in the NFL soon um, over LSU. It's, it's, it's nothing against us. It's, it's just speaking to the, the talent gap that, that was obvious when we scheduled the game and is still obvious to this day. Yeah, I think that's very fair. It's, it, this just isn't going to tell us a lot about Syracuse, unless they win. If, if we win, it tells us a good amount. Unless we lose by, like, 50, I, I'm not going to get overly concerned. If this game is around what the spread is, which I think last I looked was 23 and a half, Yep. That's about right. Like, I think if they if Syracuse covers the spread, I'd be very happy. Um, on the road at night, one of the hardest places to play in all of college football, and then night games there, as you will come to learn, apparently are just absolutely out of control. Um, I know we've played at Clemson and whatnot at night. This is like up there with that, if not crazier. Um, so, like, teams just don't go to LSU and win that often unless they're named Alabama. Uh, it just doesn't happen. So. If, if we get crushed at LSU, like, I'm not going to freak out too much unless, like, it's just an absolute, like, savage dismantle. And even then, like, it, we might still turn around and, and you know, beat, uh, I don't even know who we have after LSU. Um, NC State. NC State. Probably not. But, like, if we lose by 40 to LSU, it does not mean that, like, we're never going to go down to NC State and win. Like, we probably won't be as NC State's better than us, on, at least on paper right now. But um, I still don't think that we learn all that much about a bad LSU loss. Yeah, same. I, I think, and, you know, this is, again, this is this is another one of those reasons why I don't schedule this game. Uh, because, I mean, I'm happy I'm getting the, the trip out of it and, and, and the vacation, being able to see LSU and all that, but 
you don't learn anything from this game. If you win, it, it's it's awesome, obviously, and it could it could change the course of the program in some ways. But in all likelihood, you're going to lose, and when you lose, it it just tells you that you're not as good as LSU, and you already knew that. Yeah, and I'm sure there will be overreactions no matter what happens. Like even if if Syracuse supposed to win this game, I I would probably give everyone a pass on overreacting. <laughs> um, but at the same time, we've seen this. Like we that obviously West Virginia at the Dome is not the same as at LSU, even though that West Virginia team might have been better. Um, they were ranked like 13th. LSU obviously almost fell out of the polls completely after losing by 30. Um, but still, like I think we were talking about this in the Slack the other day. Even Virginia Tech last year was in like the teens. And I forget who it was. was like, you know, why would this be considered a bigger win? And it, there's just something to winning on the road at a, a name program like LSU. Like, Virginia Tech, obviously, has been in a national championship uh, in the last 20 years. They've had some big players. Like, they were probably one of the best teams of, like, the mid-'90s to mid-2000s in the country. Um, they just don't have the name. Like, it just doesn't have that pitch as LSU. Um, so even if Virginia Tech last year ends up being better than LSU this year, I think this win would mean a lot more because it's – Non-conference, it's like a weird matchup you don't see all the time. You can joke about matching against any coastal team uh, now uh, to yourselves at home, <laughs> but um, it's just like some, this would say something way more than like you know Syracuse upset a conference opponent because that pretty much happens every week. If you go down like any week of college football when there's conference play, like you'll find one weird upset for a home team. Like Oregon State will probably pick someone off in the Pac-12 this year, and you'll be like, oh, that was strange. Um, but Syracuse beating, you know, at LSU would look a lot weirder than even, like, let's say we went to Miami later this year and won. Like, I don't think people would be nearly as impressed or surprised by that, even if those two teams are, like, comparable. This is true. And that's a good place to uh, send us to halftime, Dan, before we uh, jump into more LSU talk. So uh, Let's do it. Yeah, what have you been drinking? Uh, so I had a good amount of stuff this week. Um, I, let's see. The first thing, I was at uh, a couple of different concerts over the last couple of days. Um, I got to check out the Capitol Theater in Portchester, New York. Uh, and they actually have their own beer brewed by Captain Lawrence, which is nearby, called the Capitol Ale, hmm. um, which is a Tolsh. Uh, pretty good, like, for, a, like, you know, one of those, like, gimmicky brewed-for-one-place beers, like, really solid. Um, so I enjoyed that. If you're ever there, I don't know that you can get anywhere else. Um, or I don't, also don't know if it's just an, a Tolsh they already make renamed. That's also a possibility. But uh, it's called the Capitol Ale when it's there, at least. Um, I had some all-day IPA. I had a half-stack IPA from Single Cut. Uh, I had, uh, apparently Victory Brewing makes uh, a rye um, in conjunction with the barcades around here. So I had one of those at uh, Barcade in Jersey City over the weekend, which was solid. Um, I had the Chai High by Avery, which uh, I thought was pretty good. Um, You know, I'm not a huge drinker of those ton of darts all the time, but it was was tasty. And then I had a uh, Smoked Schwartz beer from Asbury Park Brewing. Uh, as well, which was pretty good. So some different stuff that I don't usually drink, but I uh, was happy to, to get back on and try some new stuff. Very nice. I think that's a, uh, it's the first ever three-week winning streak for you, Dan. Oh, no, I don't think I won last week. I didn't do much at all last week. Yeah. No. There were a couple of weeks earlier this month where I was on it. It's fair. Yeah, I, uh, as mentioned, I've been, I've been saving my liver for, for New Orleans and the, the debauchery that should ensue in Baton Rouge. Um, so I did take it easy once again this weekend. Um, just had some more Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest. Had from Celador um, around here, the uh, Berliner, Berlinerish uh, Boysenberry. It's their kind of Berliner Weiss that they use boysenberries with. Had uh, a couple two-hearted ales um, out to dinner on Friday. And then a bottle of uh, the breweries uh, taking my talents to, a, to Anaheim that they brewed with uh, Miami's Jay Wakefield, hence the... Uh, 
LeBron James reference. And yeah, that was that was everything. Like I said, very uh, very brief uh, drinking this weekend. Tried to tried to keep things toned down because uh, I'm, I'm 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 in for quite the week starting Wednesday night. And we did get one of our listeners to like start keeping tabs of like who wins. And I feel like you. You definitely were like for a while beating me almost every week, but now I feel like we go back and forth a little bit more, which I don't know who that says more about. Um, <laughs> probably nothing good for either of us, but uh, I, I'm kind of interested now as to like who who has been on top the last like year. I feel uh, like... but I do not have the interest in going back through all of our podcasts and listening. So if anyone wants to do that, um, get better hobbies. Uh, but also thank you. I feel like we could probably tell since I put the in the comments every week. Like yeah, but you don't put all of them, so I don't. I we usually like, yeah. take the sampling and see who whose beers were more often listed. That's true. Yeah, that's the thing. I do feel like, like if you have a repeat, I usually just lean one more or two more on mine. Yeah, I mean we could also just compare like untaps, but I, I don't know what yours looks like. I'm at like 581 uniques uh, because I have it open, oh. and 1,086 total, which is actually pretty cool. That means like I don't always check into like stuff I drink all the time, but that means more than more than half my check-ins, right? Or yeah, more than half my check-ins are new. 3,916 total, 2244 oh. unique. I will say you are older than me. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I, was, I, was, I started checking into beers on here while you were still in college. Yes, and, and I definitely didn't drink beers uh, before I was 21. No. No, never. Absolutely not. That would be illegal. If this is true. It would be illegal in every state. Um, yeah, I, I think what Moore says about me that I've... Because since the... I feel like since the job change and just the different hours and the fact that i'm usually writing most nights i like actively avoid drinking during those so now like i've i've come to a point where like i'm not drinking usually like sunday night through thursday night and and i'm, I'm being much more of an adult about about the, the the how and when and why i'm drinking which is yeah, I, I guess that's I guess that's called maturity, Dan, and, and that's that's something that I'm, I'm I'm actively embracing as a an almost thirty year old adult. Ew. Oh yeah, I'm gonna vomit. That's why I'm going to Italy in January to to to, to not remind myself that, that I'm turning thirty. I figure if I if I go to the land of my people, then, then they can they can tell me whatever age I want to be. You're also in a Baton Rouge this weekend, where I don't think anyone's thirty. I think everyone is twenty five. That's true. I'm I'm. I'm inheriting Peter Pan disease for a weekend. I will, I will very much embrace that. <laughs> you cannot be judged for any of the things you drink <laughs> in, in the state of Louisiana during college football season. That's true. There are no rules or laws in the state of Louisiana. I don't know if you knew that. It's a fact. From what I've heard, that's a fact. There's also no time. It's a, unless you have a plane to catch, that's the only time there is time. So I am I'm looking forward to, to existing in the, uh, the Upside Down for, for much of the next five days. I thought we just paid in Louisiana as Las Vegas, but, like, completely different. Like, it's different in every aspect except for how time moves. That's true. <laughs> and the drinking laws. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, very different. Those things, similar. Fact. Uh, all right, speaking of Louisiana, uh, as we mentioned numerous times in this podcast already, Syracuse faces LSU. Uh, the Tigers fell from 12 to 25 this week. I think that's a gross overreaction by pollsters, to be honest. Um, also think that they messed up a couple other things, including not bringing up San Diego State more than they did, but whatever. Um, it's still a win against a ranked team. I think LSU is better than the 25th team in the country. Um, they'll be better than unranked if we beat them somehow. Um, Dan, what, what's, what shocked you most about 
Saturday's 37-7 loss for, uh, for LSU that we could have probably convinced ourselves was going to happen in some way, shape, or form, but not to that extent. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of it. We had the other games on, and that one got like pretty out of hand pretty quick. Um, so I wasn't paying a ton of attention to it with like the USC Texas madness and, and I forget what other game was on that late, but right, just SCC like the Stanford game and there's yeah. something else on with, there was something else on with USC Texas, but once USC Texas hit like, like peak stupidity, then everybody was there. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what was the ABC game? It was, was it Ohio? No, they, they oh, had the Thompson game. The Thompson game. Yeah, of course. Which also got out um, of hand by like third quarter. About the same. Yeah. It was like, you know, Mississippi State, LSU, Clemson, uh, Louisville about the same game. Um, as we all would have written up, um, it just just the the totality with which Mississippi State beat them. Um, I would I thought about like betting Mississippi State in the game not straight up. I probably would have gone with like the six and a half points they were getting or whatever. Um, so a loss at you know for LSU on the road in an SEC game uh, is not that shocking in and of itself. Um, a thirty point loss is, and Mississippi State just won literally every every factor uh, facet of the game. Um, their defense looked great. Nick Fitzgerald continues to like be sneakily one of the best quarterbacks in the country and um, just torched LSU every time he had the ball, it seemed like. And people, I saw people like crowing about Ed Orgeron after the game, and I, that's fair. Like When your team loses a 30-point game as a, set, as a touchdown favorite, like that's not great. Um, but Ed Orgeron hired two really, really good coordinators. Like Matt Canada has built his rep up pretty, uh, pretty strong. Uh, strongly over the last couple of years, but and Dave Aranda's... Pretty Arandis, quickly, though. Pretty quickly and sort of out of nowhere. Yes, I agree. Um, but, I mean, I think everyone was, like, praising that hire when it happened, um, and I think a lot of it was based on, you know, his, what, one or two years at Pitt where he turned them into a, a really high-flying offense out of nowhere, but yeah. it still happened. Like, he had a good offense there, which was not, like, you know, he didn't step into it. Um, though with an NFL Dave quarterback Arandis, and an NFL running back. That's true, yes. And, and really good receiving core. Um, but Pitt, like, or, but Dave Aranda, like, is, has been really good at multiple stops. Like, it's not like he came out of nowhere. He's one of the best, the country's best defensive coordinators. Um, and I think anyone would tell you that even now. Um, so for, for Mississippi State to, uh, just dice them up for 285 yards rushing, uh, especially against LSU, which always has a dominant front. Obviously, he didn't throw for that many yards, but he didn't really need to, uh, because again, 285 yards rushing. And for the defense to, to, you know, they held Dice. Dice actually had a nice, a decent average. Like he averaged for over five yards of carry, but well, then they had abandoned the run. Times. Yeah, they had to get rid of it. And when you have apparently Ten Yetling, not great. <laughs> um, who knew? He looked good against uh, BYU earlier in the year. I didn't. But I didn't everybody play, has but... apparently since BYU is suddenly garbage. Yeah. Um, so basically, if you can force LSU to pass the ball, you might have a shot, uh, which does sound familiar to uh, you know everyone that's watched them recently, but. Like, I don't think anyone was in a pencil in a 30-point win for Mississippi State. I don't know that we know how good Mississippi State is. Maybe they're really good. I, I don't expect that. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they're, like, an eight-win team. But that's not the type of team that beats uh, your normal LSU Tiger team uh, on, at home on the road anywhere. So um, I think just any kind of upset of this magnitude uh, is just kind of crazy. Um, LSU will lose some games, and they'll lose to Alabama almost every year now, but they don't lose games like this. Um, no. I mean, no— so. Very, the top tier of the SEC doesn't doesn't lose games like this. No, like it's just it's it's virtually impossible just by way of talent. Um, I mean, LSU's biggest advantage on us at this point is talent, and and that's I think why we've all been pretty convinced that they're going to win. I don't think they have a scheme superiority. I don't think it's any of that. I, I I don't even think at this point there's a real coaching superiority. 
I, I think it's really just that the Tigers have an ability to out-talent us. Um, and, and that means a lot, especially at home. Um, but yeah, you look at this box score, like you were saying, like Fitzgerald, accurate day, 180 yards through the air and two touchdowns. But, and this is the, the one I would circle for Syracuse purposes, you know, Fitzgerald also had 14 carries for 88 yards and two more, two more scores, including a 24-yard run. Like, the Bulldogs don't run the same type of offense, and that almost gives me even more, like, reason to pause a little bit. Because if Fitzgerald, you know, at a, at a non-up-tempo, like, spread scheme can put up those sort of numbers running from the quarterback position, like, who knows what else can happen? Um, I mean, they really didn't even try to throw that much on him like this is i i don't because again because of the 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 talent disparity between syracuse and lsu and because of the talent disparity between mississippi state and LSU and syracuse i don't want to start connecting dots from what happened in that game to what could happen in our game but it is worth pointing out that um there are a couple things that we could take um you know some notes on and, and things that syracuse might be able to to exploit maybe not similarly but could take some advantage of it if, if corrections aren't made on the LSU side. And that might not happen given, you know, the, the injuries and, and, and some suspensions that we're seeing uh, for this game. Yeah. I, I, I forget who wrote it. I think uh, Bailey wrote it. Um, Babers basically cautioned, like trying to draw direct comparisons between our talent and Mississippi state's talent. Um, Obviously, like Fitzgerald and Dungeon can both run. Uh, Fitzgerald, I think they run a lot more design stuff for. He's also six five two thirty, so he's like more built like a. I'm not going to compare him to Cam Newton, but like he's closer to Cam Newton's size. Give or take like thirty five pounds, <laughs> but he's a guy who can take uh, way more shots uh, when he's you know breaking contain and when he's uh, outside the tackle box than Dungeon, who you know we all know is you know through no fault is through no fault of his own is like fairly fragile. Weird, yeah, though, because um, he's only an inch shorter than Fitzgerald and only 10 pounds lighter. He just doesn't like... No, I, he, I would he, doesn't, those... he doesn't carry himself as someone who's 6'4", 220. I, I, would, I would guess that those numbers are a little bit juiced, and they might be for Fitzgerald, too, but if you look at the two of them, like right. Fitzgerald looks like a much bigger person. Um, we said this about Quentin I mean, Flowers a couple weeks ago, too. Quentin Flowers yes. is like three inches shorter than Dungy and like 15 pounds lighter, and you would not know it. No, you definitely wouldn't know it. Just Flowers looks like a, a pretty big quarterback as well, and he's not. He's like a pretty average to like below average sized quarterback, um, which is always surprising. Maybe maybe the SEC cameras just add like pounds. <laughs> the SEC network cameras. Um, yeah, so I I think that they are typical. They're they're similar players like on the stat sheet. I don't know that they actually play all that similarly. And I admittedly I've watched a couple of Fitzgerald games because he's been you know very good for a few years now, but I haven't spent that much time with Mississippi State because. It's Mississippi State, um, and overall, like as we talked about, like the offensive line play is going to be probably a lot different. I don't think that uh, Syracuse is going to be able to dictate the line of scrimmage the way that Mississippi State did that whole game. And Babers talked about that, like he just said, like our I think he literally said our left tackle can't do what that left tackle did, which I don't take as an open shot to our offensive line. I think he more meant it like as a general statement, but it's also probably probably spot on to that position. Um, so. Uh, there are some similarities for sure. I just, you know, the schemes are also very different. So I, I, I'd caution people from getting like overly excited just because one team with a dual threat quarterback did this one thing. Hundred percent. And again, like we said earlier, 
the advantages that they were able to display in the trenches on both sides um, are going to be huge. Um, Syracuse hasn't necessarily let teams not being great passing teams stop teams from passing on them. Um, obviously, like some caveats there, just because like we have faced we faced three passing centric teams and two teams that were actually like good at it. Uh, Central Connecticut can't run the ball, but um, passing was just what they did. It didn't really matter if they were good at it and they weren't. Um, but MTSU was, you know, a top 15, 20 passing team last year. Um, I think CMU was probably a top 40 to 50 passing team this year, but maybe a little bit lower, uh, you know, without guys like uh, Corey Willis. This is going to be... This will be an interesting test for SU because obviously LSU has the athletes um, to beat SU in space, beat them deep. Uh, Matt Canada also knows how to do that um, recently against Syracuse. So, uh, you know, these are all just, you know, caveats on on caveats that, yeah, just because Mississippi State was able to to run some points up on, on this LSU team, um, and really kind of manhandle them on both sides of the ball. That doesn't mean doesn't mean that Syracuse is going to be able to do the same thing, even if there are some reasons, as we've kind of addressed a little bit, why SU might be able to keep this game within the you know Vegas line at least. Yeah, I think um, it's tough because I'm, like, I'm trying not to overreact to one one game on LSU side, obviously, um, because they looked very good against BYU, and they looked, uh, uh, who cares what they did in the FCS pool they played in between, uh, who they played game two. Um, oh, uh, yeah, I don't remember. I got it. Chattanooga. Who cares what they did against Chattanooga? They actually gave up ten points, so take that what you will for what you will. Um, but overall, like it looked like a pretty standard LSU team of the last couple of years before this weekend, so I don't want to, like, just throughout the notion that it might have just been a really fluky loss where Mississippi State jumped on them early, and as we've seen in college football, like, to, you know, not to paraphrase Dred Robinson, but things do snowball in this sport. Um, you When you have teenagers playing and they fall behind by 20 points, like, they don't always have the resolve to not let that thing just spin out of control. Um, so, you know, there's a chance that this was just, like, a really bad night for LSU. Uh, we've seen that um, with our team. Uh, there's also a chance that this team is flawed, but um, either way, like the the talent differential is going to be so big that um, and, and offensive line problems can be the root of like literally anything to derail an offense, uh, to derail an offense. Derail is not a word. Um, <laughs> that I, I'm I'm keeping myself pretty uh, pretty pretty. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm mostly expecting a, a pretty wide LSU win here. Um, I'm trying to think of like what Syracuse can do to keep it close uh I, I think maybe if the defense can just sell it and run and etling is you know what we saw this past weekend which has been more of danny etling than the really efficient game had had in its byu um if the corners can can play on an island uh against lc's very talented and underutilized receivers and make etling try to try to beat them downfield which is like the best way to beat the syracuse defense uh as it has been for a while you know maybe i just don't necessarily trust uh, the front seven, even though they've been really good this year, um, to not give up, like, 150 rushing yards to dice. Like, he's just so good. And he also hasn't really exploded yet for a huge game, so, uh, even though LSU's used him a bunch, so if that happens, I think we could probably keep within, like, 14, 17 points. 
Um, I kind of expect LSU to cover, so we'll see. I'm not going to get too worked up, no matter how this turns out. You know, as much as I'm, like, not known from positivity, and I would actually say that since Favors has taken over, I've defied that, um, I would say that I do expect Syracuse to cover this game, um, especially if there's weather, but even if there isn't, um, I think that I saw enough positive things, and I've seen enough positive things this year, where... Syracuse can score points even in a loss, um, and they can get you a little worried. Um, I don't think we're going to challenge LSU, and we're going to be like driving late to tie or anything like that. But um, I think if the if the run game can play even half as well as it did last week overall, um, so maybe with a couple of big plays, averaging you know two and a half three yards carry overall, um, and really like if LSU is going to be this one dimensional. Hell, like, you know, in some ways transition back to what the Tampa 2 is. Like, sell out 7 against the run and just see what happens. Like, 7, you can even bring in 8 if you want. I don't really care. Like, I I think we can survive with with, with three, uh, three defensive backs out there. Maybe we get beat by one deep ball, but... You could, you could convince me that Syracuse loses this game by 17. Yeah, it's a very tricky line uh, if we're if we're like judging it by the spread that Vegas has already put up. Um, I'm very interested to see where it goes because betters will often overreact to the most recent things that have happened, and in that case, I I wouldn't be shocked if money flowed towards Syracuse a little bit, but I honestly think it'll probably hold around there. Um, it's probably one I would avoid, just like you said, like a 17 point loss would not be that crazy. Like I could see Syracuse hitting a couple big. Uh, bit plays down the field and, and, you know, maybe even getting a backdoor cover in the fourth quarter when LSU's kind of, you know, already accepted taking the win. Um, but also would not be shocked if LSU just came out uh, with their heads on fire after a bad loss and just took it to Syracuse. So um, probably not the not the game I'm most confident in, uh, just in terms of the gambling perspective um, or just, like, even determining what, uh, you know, if Syracuse would keep it close or for LSU to, to blow out SU is it, you know, base. It's hard to not. It's it's hard to just totally disassociate yourself from a thirty-seven to seven loss that just happened. Right. Yeah. To be honest, like I, I I said on Twitter, I was rooting for LSU just because I didn't want to. I didn't want to deal with the revenge factor game. Um, you know, this doesn't have like Mississippi State's not like a, a scheme team that is going to like you know beat you to death and then the next week you're 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 suffering as a result. And this is just until they prove otherwise, it's 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 one bad game. Um, in a season that's still probably going to finish with, you know, nine wins or so. Um, for Syracuse, we can say that about the Middle Tennessee game until we're proven otherwise, probably against Pitt. Um, I, like you said, the, the, the line's weird. I think that, I think that Syracuse can cover, but, you know, that, that revenge factor is the one thing that, that, that gives me any amount of pause, um, I just don't know if, if LSU can beat anyone by 24 with that offense. Yeah, I mean, well, they can beat Chattanooga with that offense which, by 24. <laughs> FCS, <laughs> which is not really... FCS caveat. Yes. Um, and BYU, but BYU might be trash. Um, BYU is, is very much trash. Yeah. I, I think I think this is a... Again, this is a very good Vegas line <laughs> because it, it's going to fall on both sides, I think, pretty well for them. They're good at it, amazingly. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Um, Dan, what's your uh, what's your what's your score prediction here? Um, let's let's just assume that that weather is a is a non factor, even though it's probably going to be. 
All right. Um, I am going. I'll, I'll be the pessimist here. Um, I'm going to go 38 to 14 LSU. Uh, I think Syracuse Ooh. will. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. I think Syracuse will hit a couple big plays and probably put up some decent yardage, but I think the LSU defense will clamp down in the red zone, um, and I, I think that guys will just have a, a pretty easy time running. Like, I don't I don't expect the LSU offense to really be challenged too much, so um, that's what I'm going with. Maybe Syracuse taps on a late touchdown, but I, I kind of expect LSU to come out just looking for a, a big knockout punch early after what happened to them. Like, they got nationally embarrassed last week, so not not... Not the greatest position. I know we were all debating, like, would we rather have LSU, like, come back and win this or and have maybe a letdown game afterwards or, uh, come, you know, just get their doors blown off and, and add to our, like, hope. I don't know that that really matters at all, but um, I do kind of think that LSU might have a little bit of extra motivation after what happened to them. Give me 34-17 LSU. All right. I, so, yeah, uh... one, one on one side, one on the other. I, like I said, I think you can convince me 17. I uh, I could have potentially bought into like something around the 31-16 range if I had more faith in Cole Murphy. But yeah, this is uh, I think 34-17 is fair. I think that Syracuse covers, but um, it'll remind you a lot of the pit game, like a, a lower scoring pit game or, or, the, or the last LSU game where like things were always just enough out of reach where you weren't really in the game. Um, Again, we'll see. I think that the, the, the battle in the trenches is just going to be a little too much for Syracuse, and, and that'll ultimately make the difference as LSU kind of gets their mojo back in terms of the run game and is able to put a stop to you know a balanced Syracuse attack, which should derail any uh, any hopes of a, of a win for, for Syracuse. And that, that's really the story of the season, too, to be honest. If you, if you can turn Syracuse one-dimensional, things are going to go south in a hurry. Yeah, and that, that was, you know, the case for the first two games. Obviously, didn't really matter in CCSU, but Middle Tennessee, very much one-dimensional. Um, I would imagine LSU will have some success doing that as well, but we'll see. Uh, they certainly didn't do it to Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee so, True, true indeed. Um, Dan, anything else for this week while we're, uh, while we're here? Uh, the only thing I have... Uh, is because you brought up Cole Murphy, I went to look his stats up on this Bill C page, and he, he is only 11 for 12 and 7 for 8, so he's actually kind of bounced back from that really awful, uh, you know, set of kicks he had. Um, but Sterling Hoffrichter's numbers are awesome, and, like, he might be the best punter in the country. Yeah. 46.1 average. Um, he has, uh, Bill C actually has a fair catch slash inside the 20 ratio, which is an amazing punting stat. 85.7%, which I imagine is very high. Um, without like going to look, uh, so yeah, he's he's just amazing. He's really really good. I'll take it. I yeah, I I have zero negative things to say about Hoff ever. Um, Cole has definitely looked better. The kicking balls out of bounds on kickoffs thing is still that's not great. No, no, that's that's still not ideal. But uh, yeah. Also, these stats might not be right because it has a zero next to his out of bounds number. So I, I think the stats might not be correct. Hmm. His stats. I think Hoffrichters seem right, but I'm not going to double-check that in the next minute that we have here. No, that's strange. Anyway, uh, at, at, at SBN Bill C, maybe he'll, uh, maybe he'll know. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he has the takeoff numbers for Syracuse's year just burned into his memory. He doesn't. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. Uh, this is probably going up on Wednesday. This is Monday. We're recording. I, uh, I'll be down in... New Orleans until midday Friday for those who are going to be in town. And then I will be up in Baton Rouge until Sunday morning. 
Um, so I would pencil that in as Saturday night because I'm not going to say hi to you at Sunday morning after the game and, and me trying to get out of town just like you. Um, Dan, enjoy your, uh, your weekend as well, uh, watching the game probably on a phone somewhere. Yes, I'll be half watching on a phone, and if it goes well, I'll rewatch it, and if it doesn't go well, like if it goes really poorly, there's a good chance I have no idea what happened to this game. So we'll see how the podcast does next week. I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service you may use, and uh, go orange. Orange. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited, featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota, let's go places. JBL and Clarifier, registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated.